Hello, FCS Nation. It's time for your show. I'm your host, Kevin Marshall. I'm coming to you from cold Missoula, Montana. Join me like he does each week. It's the co-host of this program, Mr. Stone LeBannowitz. Stone is coming to you from his broadcast center in the Sunshine State of Florida. And join us a little later on will be Mr. Gene Clemens. Gene is coming to you from God's country down there in Savannah, Georgia. Well, Stone, uh, chalk pretty much held last week yeah. in the in the FCS playoffs, except for that ball game in Bozeman, which we'll get to in just a minute. But up first, you know, look, I, I'll admit when I'm wrong, I, I I don't mind doing that. I thought Mercer would show up to Brookings and give South Dakota State a game. They did not, sir. The final was number one seed South Dakota State, 41 to Mercer Bears, nothing. Yeah. Yeah, brother, we tried to be nice, right? <laughs> I said at least 100 times on the show last week that 32 and a half points, man, that is way too much. This Mercer defense is there. Like I said, just being a little too nice. But the the problem for us is we're just running out of things to talk about in regards You're to the Jackrabbits. You're not kidding. Like, what I are mean, we going to... Does anybody want to listen to a show where we say, hey, it's going to be like <laughs> first mean... Manassas every week? Yeah. You know, nobody I mean, wants to listen to that, I don't I, think. I mean, how many times can we sit here and talk about by the 605 Hogs and them just running through defensive fronts like uh, they're they're, they're going to do it again this week against a Villanova team they're just there's too much experience these guys are on a quest to go back to back there's too many things going well for South Dakota State right now I just I was surprised to be quite frank with you that 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 offense for the Jackrabbits became a hot knife through butter against the Mercer team has been standing stout all season long but if they were able to break that code I think they're able to break Villanova's code but 41 zip on Mercer. They just ambushed PV and the Bears offense. It wasn't pretty. Well, I mean, it was pretty if you were in Brookings and you were a South Dakota State Jackrabbit fan, but no contest here surprising to us. I think me and you can take an L here. We're okay eating a little bit of crow. 571 total yards for the Jackrabbits, and Mercer had 151 total yards. Yeah. And, and I think 30 of those came on a fake punt. <laughs> I was so, going to say, did I think you know, uh, a quarter yeah. that came from a fake punt? Yeah, yeah. So Jackrabbits did exactly what they wanted. A Mercer, good story. Great story. First playoffs, first playoff win last week against Gardner-Webb. But you know what? You play these games against a team like the Jackrabbits, and you're like, okay, here's what we need to be. We need to do what they do and do it how they do it if we want to play on their level. And it was a good measuring stick for Drew Chronic in his program. Number two, Montana, 49, Delaware, 19. It was a snow game. And look, uh, Delaware, uh, first of all, whoever runs the PR department there probably shouldn't have a job anymore. How are you going to announce a move to Conference USA the same time your football team is trying to make a playoff run and you're going on the road to play Montana? Yike, bonehead, dumb. Didn't help the football team any, that's for sure. Not that the Grizz needed any help. This is a good Montana football team. I do believe this is a team we're going to see down in Frisco. If they can get by the Furman Paladins this week in Missoula, that'd be. Delaware, yeah, you announce we're going to Conference USA. We forked over the $5 million, and then you proceed to get your ass kicked right there in front of everybody, and the FCS gets to laugh at you on your way out. I loved it. I put in the show tweet that Montana was going to send Delaware to the FBS with a black eye, and they did just that. Number three seed, South Dakota 34, Sacramento State 24. Oh, what could have been for the Sacramento State Hornets, Caden Bennett got hurt. Carson Camp came in. You know, you can file that under huge ironic things that happened last week, right? Uh, Caden Bennett goes down for Sacramento State, and Carson Camp relieves him. Carson Camp used to play quarterback for the South Dakota Yotes. So, you know, nobody knew, nobody knew that building probably better than Carson Camp. I mean, holy cow, Kev. The first quarter of the Yotes could not have gone any better. But it wasn't like this, this spur-of-the-moment thing. Like, oh, my God, they jumped out to a 17-0 lead. No, they created that 17-0 lead, and they executed on the opportunities that were placed in front of them. 
The Yotes deserve a lot of credit for this win. Sac State, obviously without Caden Bennett. Caden Bennett was kind of the guy who got them here. Obviously, they've been a roller coaster ride all season long, and they finally get to come to a stop, and all those players get to get off. I think they need the offseason more than anybody in this playoff field right now, so you got to feel for Sac State, but this game bodes well. Bodes well in the confidence department for the Yotes. This place is going to be sold out. Uh-uh. I'm super excited for their matchup against the Bys, but I think scoring 34 and only letting up 24 on a team who scored in the 30s plenty of times this season. South Dakota has to feel really, really good about themselves, and obviously the man behind center, he's got a plan for them, and if he's dialed, they're a really tough team to beat. Number four, Idaho, 20, Southern Illinois, 17 in overtime. This was a heck of a game. Albany, all three phases contributed. Offense played okay. Defense played great, and the special teams bailed the offense out with a touchdown and that field goal to win it in overtime. This game was ridiculous. Uh, it was well played by the defenses. I thought both offenses were, to be honest with you, a little lackluster. I expected more points. I think you expected more points. We didn't get those points, but that's because the defenses wanted to play good football, sound football. The front sevens were getting after Baker and McCoy. You know, all week I was battling with who I thought was going to win the game, but I did say, Kev, it's going to come down to the fourth quarter. At any point in the fourth, this game is going to be tied. For it to come down to a walk-off situation is almost too good to be true. But boy, was it true. Baumgart with the chance as time's expiring. Gets tipped at the line of scrimmage. Baker ends up throwing a pick in OT. And and Mr. Chavez is a a bad, bad man. He hasn't missed all season long. I mean, I'm sure he has. But he just seems like every time he kicks or every time something is asked of him, he delivers. So Ricardo Chavez getting it done. This game was phenomenal. Delivered ESPN2. The announcers did a, a beautiful job in injecting hashtag FCS after dark into this game all the time. I think FBS fans, if they did trickle over a little late, night action they were impressed and they'll be back around to whoever it is so so i loved it number five you albany 41 richmond 13 nice story for richmond stone they started off the season slow were able to put it all together get this far into the playoffs nice job done by head coach russ huseman there at richmond way too much albany way too much offense this game was 27 to nothing at one point and the great danes really never looked back north dakota state 35 number six seed montana state 34 stone we're going to talk about what we think should could have happened in the next segment uh, in this ball game, but I think it deserves mentioning here too. 35-34 in overtime. You've had one play if you're the Bobcats, you hand the ball off, 25-yard touchdown run, and then you send the weakest link on your football team, which has been the kicking game out to extend the game. Wrong decision in, in my mind. Should have gone for two, win the football game right there, but they didn't. And North Dakota State got out of Bozeman with a 35-34 to win over the Montana State Bobcats. Yeah, it was a good football game. It was a really fun football game to watch. You had no clue where it was going to go. It became a true coin flip game. A lot getting banged up. Really, really sucked. But myself, you, and Gene Clemens, I don't know how Lucas Sem feels about the Malott Chambers situations, but we're kind of team Chambers, so it's happy to see him get the full reign of the offense. And, and, and he played well. He did what the team needed to do. Obviously, it came down to a decision. Yeah, I'll save my answer for the mailbag segment. I know we've been asked on Twitter about it. I feel some type of way, and I know it differs from what you guys feel feel like so i'll save it and kind of feed you guys the fire there but big win for north dakota state Merrick williams ran his ass off our national offensive player of the week presented by northwestern mutual i think he had a buck 60 and, and found the end zone a couple of times he was running like like rent was due uh, and that team needed that because god knows they're not going to get it from their quarterback so big win for the bison here 35 34 they move on i had them in the semis that's where they're going to find themselves here this is a good bison squad number seven Furman 26 chattanooga seven i think this one went just about how we thought it was going to 
Chicago, Stone. But, you know, these type of things sometimes really make me scratch my head. People talk about, we want balance in our offense. Well, I don't think you're going to find anybody who's going to do that better than Furman did it last Saturday against Chattanooga. They had 192 passing yards and 192 rushing yards. Pretty similar, right? <laughs> Pretty similar. Hoff, Roberto back in the lineup. Definitely had to shake off some rust. Uh, I think if this wasn't their first game back, they would have scored 40-45. Chattanooga offensively, obviously with their backup quarterback, just really was no threat. Really was giving Furman no trouble whatsoever. I'm glad Hoff and Roberto got this one under their belt because, boy, they have a tall task heading to Missoula, but we like them. We think Furman's got themselves a shot, and we think that 16.5-point spread is an absolute joke. Um, going to be a good one. I'm excited for it, but Chattanooga posed no threat, Kev. Number eight, Villanova, 45, Youngstown State, 28. Again, Youngstown State like Richmond. Nice story here for Youngstown, just about like Richmond, but they had nothing for Villanova here. Villanova went through them like Sherman went through Georgia. I obviously went and picked Youngstown State. I just wanted the Valley to prevail. Did y'all hear that, folks? Stone Labanowitz, certified Valley homer. You heard it right there. <laughs> Shut up. But but seriously, I did want the Valley to prevail. I just don't think Villanova had been tested quite like Youngstown State has, so I thought Iron and the Shield would come about there and they would defend the Valley's honor. Didn't happen. The National Offensive Player of the Week is Tameric Williams, running back, North Dakota State. Williams carried the ball 11 times for 163 yards and two touchdowns in the Bison's road win over Montana State. The FCS Nation Radio National Defensive Player of the Week presented by Northwestern Mutual is Shane Hartzell, linebacker, Villanova. Hartzell notched 14 tackles, a tackle for a loss, one sack, and a pass breakup in the Wildcats' win over Youngstown State. Congratulations to those two gentlemen for being named FCS Nation Radio National Players of the Week presented by Northwestern Mutual. It's time for us to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll go deep into our mailbag, and Gene Clemens will join us for that. We'll be right back. You're listening to FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Network. And we're back. You're listening to FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Network. We got a special, special little segment for y'all right now. Abanowitz and I are going to discuss the number seven seed Furman Paladins at the number two seed Montana Grizzlies on Friday night. Reason why we're doing this separately is that most of our radio stations air our show on Saturday mornings. So, you know, we don't need anybody's help to sound like idiots. So felt like we would sound like idiots if we put a segment out there about a game that's already happened and the results are already known. So here's our take. Number seven seed Furman at number two Montana. Stone, weather's not supposed to be too bad in Missoula on Friday night. It's going to be a little chilly. Not supposed to be a whole bunch of snow or anything like that like there was against Delaware. So the field conditions will be good. No advantage for either side there. Furman is in the upstate of South Carolina where it is a little chillier than it is down there in God's country on the coast. So they were not unaccustomed to, you know, being out there when it's in the 30 degree range. So I think that's a wash, which is about as good as you can hope for this time of the year playing a game in Missoula, Montana, Washington Grizzly Stadium, that's for sure. But down to the X's and O's and the Jimmy's and Joe's in this one. Furman has a good football team stone we've liked what they've laid down all season they're physical on the offensive line dominic roberto is a 220 pound back who will bruise you run over you run around you too and they have those kind of scat back guys back there as a change of pace who do a very good job as well tyler huff can spin it he can make all the throws and he's also a plus on the design quarterback runs and also it all breaks down and he's scrambling this is a good Furman football team that I think matches up very well with Montana yeah the scramble drill 
ability that Tyler Huff has, I, I think, is something that deserves to be noticed that oftentimes does go unnoticed. And in a game like this, where Furman's goal, and if they want to make this thing competitive, let alone win it, it's to muck it up get Montana out of their space. Football teams that are underdogs at a number like this, you have to make the better team play your game. I think Furman's confident in doing that. One, you already touched on Tyler Huff's ability and what he can do in a scramble drill. I'm a guy who loves, and I think it's so important when a quarterback is able to move the chains himself, whether it's with his legs or the ability to get outside the hashes. I've said scramble drill three times already, but find receivers when the play breaks down. That's what Furman wants to do, and it's what they need to do. We talked about the weather as well. Last week, if you are trying to cap the Montana-Delaware game, you think, okay, weather, snow. Man, I'm going to go under the point total here. Well, Montana still figured out a way to score 50, so I think at no point the weather will scare the Grizz. But the Furman are more of a ground and pound team, therefore leading to higher, larger times of possession. Another battle that Furman's going to want to win. Make these drives really long, keep Clifton McDowell off the field. From an X's and O's and a Jimmy and Joe standpoint, Furman has to like what they have. And if Hendricks and the rest of the squad can dial up a decent game plan, they won't only cover the high 16 and a half number, they'll be in this game in the fourth quarter. When you say Furman needs to muck it up, well, Stone, they've got just about everybody all season to play their type of game. We've talked about how they're not flashy. They're not a Samford from last year, throwing it 50 times and putting up all these gaudy numbers. They run the ball, they play defense, and they want to play this game in the high 20s, don't they? High 20s, low 30s. That's so accurate. And the Furman defense, they've been holding people down all season. And when I'm looking around the SoCon and I'm trying to find an offense that is similar to what Montana is, you know, you have some teams that if you put them together would be a good combination for Montana. Right. You know, like if you took if you took Western Carolina's passing game and Chattanooga's running game, right, that, that would probably be – uh, about the same deal. Now, Montana's not nearly as prolific throwing the football as Western Carolina is, and they're not as good running the ball as Chattanooga was before they lost to Lim Ford. But those, if, if you married those together, you'd have the Montana Grizzlies. And Furman handled both of those teams. And so the people who are thinking that Furman's going to get blown out, I'm not one of them. It could happen. I don't really see that coming up on Friday night. I think Furman has a legitimate shot to win this football game. I think they're coming across the country to do so. They're going to bring a pretty significant number of fans to the ball game, and they're going to be there yelling loud and proud for their furples. And I expect this to be a very good ball game, and I expect to look up with five or six, seven minutes to go in the game, and it be a one-score game. And if that's the case, you have to like Furman's chances. They've won these games like this all season, and I don't think they're coming out here just to put on a good show and then have equipment turn-in day on Monday and get ready for next year. I think the Paladins are coming out here to win and advance, and if they can, man, it throws a huge monkey wrench in what everybody is kind of already saying is going to be the national championship matchup. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic because on one half you like to keep things mr kevin marshall i'm referring to inside the white lines anything goes on saturday right any given saturday is the phrase we can sit here and talk about and why we think Furman has a chance but i typically am the guy who leans towards numbers i love the sports books i love the intel that vegas is able to give able to tip you off sometimes when the money's coming here the lines go in there i pay attention to all of these things 
I'm just having a hard time stomaching 16 and a half. It's halting me from saying, hey, Furman's got a real shot in this game. But I truly do think Furman has a shot in this game. If they're going to lose it, it's going to be by maybe 10, 13 points max. This team has too much pride. They're too top heavy. They're led by guys who are not just your normal leaders of the football team, but have a family, have a kid, have wives. Tyler Huff is a grown-ass man, and if you think he's going to let his boys go out like that, you're sadly mistaken. But on the other side, the Grizz can turn into an avalanche. Delaware got just a little dose of that. It seemed Montana almost let their foot off the gas last week, and that's funny me even saying that because they almost put up a 50-burger, but this Montana team can score, score, and score again, and they'll continue to score at a high clip because they can do it in so many different ways. What's your prediction for the game, Mr. Lebanowitz? Like I said, if Montana's going to get it done, it's going to be by 10-13. And I'm not even going to pick a low score. I-, I do agree with you in a sense where you said a firmer wants to keep this in the low 20s, high 20s. I agree with that. I just think Montana's willing to score more points. So I'm going to go the Montana Grizz 35, the Furman Paladins. 27. I've already used my upset specials of the week. If you've listened to the rest of the show, I think Furman can win this game. I think a lot of things need to go their way for that to happen. And I think the Grizz are too good of a football team to put it on the ground a couple of times, maybe throw a pick six. Uh, They give up the big play on special teams could happen, but Furman's going to need a lot of those things to happen to come all the way across the country and win this football game. So give me the number two seed Montana Grizzlies at home over. So give me the number Number two, national seed Montana Grizzlies at home at Washington Grizzly Stadium over the number seven national seed Furman Paladins, 31-27. Thanks for sticking with us during the break. You are listening to, of course, FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Network each and every week. You know the segment. You know when I'm leading things, we're talking mailbag. We open it up to our Twitter followers here at FCS Nation Radio 1 on Twitter, on X, whatever the hell you call it. You guys pepper us with questions. I then pepper Kevin Marshall and Gene Clemens with those same questions that you dropped us. So let's get it rolling. What do you guys say? Let's Let's go. Gene, help me out with this one. Jamie Williams at JD Williams 23 on Twitter says, what can we make fun of Kevin for this week? Anything come to mind or has it been a normal week? Other other than the way he looks, I mean, (laughs) I I guess he, I guess we can make fun of him for moving from like warm, decent weather up into whatever you want to call that in in Montana. I like that. Outside of that, we'll, we'll, we'll let him, we'll let him go. We'll let him, we'll let him slide. (laughs) All right. Things we do for FCS football. All right. And it's a long story about why I'm here. Most of it is the fault of program directors at sports radio stations in South Carolina. (laughs) Okay. Shots fired and and, and shots landed. Let's actually jump in here. Kevin, an update on a Gardner Webb coaching search. This one from Darrell Ruiz on Twitter. Got anything for him? I haven't heard anything yet. And I got my ear pretty close to the ground. It's going to be difficult for them to replace Trey Lamb. Fine young coach went to Tennessee State there in Johnson City in the SoCon. I imagine that that's something that we'll hear about in the next week or so. Formed a committee. And, you know, sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. But that's a program where the cupboard is not bare by any stretch of the imagination. Gardner-Webb is set up to make a nice little run here as a football program in the next three, four, five years. Hey, Stone, hold on on for a second. Kev, what's wrong with Gardner-Webb just being like a stepping stone um, coaching coaching spot, like where they bring in the hot Division II or 
a hot FCS coordinator that's looking for their first job. Why can't they just be that type of program? I don't think there's any reason why they can't. And I just don't know what it is they're looking for, what their parameters are. If they're wanting someone who's been a head coach, you know, somebody who is going to come in there and, you know, not drive the Cadillac off the cliff, so to speak. And, you know, I, I just don't know what their parameters are. I would think they would go after one of the fellas, you know, maybe from Valdosta State or one of the, you know, excellent lower division football programs. But we'll see. It's been a minute since Trey Lamb's gone to Johnson City and East Tennessee State. I would have expected if they were going to make a hire like that, we would have heard about it already. All right, let's stay down south for a second. I want you guys to touch on this. This one from Bart Hears on Twitter. When Richmond and William & Mary rejoin the SoCon, don't know if that's satirical or not, do you think North Carolina A&T will come with them to make it 12 teams, or will it be Campbell or maybe Elon? I I think he's getting at some SoCon expansion. What do you got, Kev? Look, I am not against the Southern Conference expanding. I'm against expansion for expansion's sake, though. Just grabbing anybody with a pulse and a foot program. The league is too good for that. They don't need to do that. And I, I wonder about the timing, though. And all of this sprung from the East Tennessee State Athletic Director um, making some statements on a podcast somewhere about how ETSU and Chattanooga were all for and there may be an ultimatum or something. But, you know, I would take that better if either of them had won anything anytime recently, right? The, if uh, East Tennessee State, if the George Quarles experiment had worked and they were on their back-to-back-to-back Southern Conference championships, would the ETSU athletic director be talking about this publicly? Absolutely not. He'd be uh, shaking hands and slapping backs and uh, smoking big, thick cigars with big old glasses of bourbon with the boosters, not out here trying to blow up the Southern Conference so it can cover for their own ineptitude with hiring coaches. That seems to have been rectified. Chattanooga, was it the private schools that made you lose to the Citadel in Western Carolina two out of the last three years on, on the last day of the season to miss the playoffs? I think there's a whole lot of covering up for, don't look here, we need to expand because we're not winning. You know, I would take this much better if this was from a team, you know, like a a Western Carolina, if they had made the playoffs this year or something like that. Would you have taken it better if it was from the private schools? Because that's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like you've got a bias against the public schools that are that are saying, hey, this is what we feel like we need. I don't think if you don't if you don't disagree with the expansion, if you don't have an issue with the expansion, don't have an issue with the messenger. It's like saying, oh, well, I, I, I believe that there's steroids in baseball i just don't like that it came from that it came from um um jose canseco right like i don't think that that's don't kill the messenger if the message is right and i think that the socon is sitting back in their own little bubble saying oh well we like what we have and we think it's great and we think it's great and meanwhile everybody's moving their chess pieces and if you don't move your piece soon enough it's going to be checkmate for the socon they're going to get pilfered by other um by other places that want those those pieces because Quiet as it's kept, Chattanooga is a sleeping giant. That How area is ever giant, expanding. Gene? They finished the, like the area. Look at the area. Ascendant. Flies draw more hey, people to this Chattanooga. This, home this is not Bozeman, my guy. This is not Bozeman. Chattanooga is an expanding area. And that means that that school in that area is going to become prime real estate for some conference that wants to be in bed with that area. Not just the school. Not just the people that go to the games, but the area. And Chattanooga is up, and it is a fire red hot arrow pointing up for that city. Kev, uh, before we go to the next one, what was that uh, 
draw more flies quote you had stored? Roadkill draws more flies <laughs> than Chattanooga football, or than, than Chattanooga football draws fans or something like that. Yeah, it was something. All right, keeping this train uh, chugging here. Gene, I want you to handle this one here. Montana Parlay says, how bad did the officiating in the North Dakota State versus Montana State game look on TV? Seemed like total chaos, confusion in the stadium. They look they look lost. They look, well, I shouldn't even say lost. They look scared. Like, scared to, to make calls or do things that were necessary in order to regulate the game the way the game should be regulated or um, scared to not make calls because of what, for whatever reason. I hate when we have a game that close, a game that comes down to the wire that was so good that we're, we're all of a sudden looking at the refs, but right. here we are again. I don't think that the refs decided the game, but I think that the refs played a part in the game and they should never play a part in the game in my opinion. They were cold, Gene. Those were Southern <laughs> Conference officials. They were cold. And look, the uh, one discussion that nobody asked that I wish they would have is this. Why didn't Montana State go for two and try to win the ball game right there? Tommy Malott's on the sideline, badly hurt. Sean Chambers is limping. Your kicker stinks. You just gashed the Bison for a 25-yard touchdown run. Why don't you just get in the damn eye formation, run the football, hand it off, and win the game there? I think that was the right play. Disagree all you want. You can talk to the wall. In my mind, that was the right play go for two win the game move on kicking the extra point dumb 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 i don't disagree I don't oh disagree. god i think Both that they should win for the two are you kidding me right now there are almost in in regards to going for two in situations like this there are rules that are written in stone and one of the, one of the simplest rules is you're not going to do this at home like you were not yeah, the, i don't care you were not the care. and, and you're, you're you're a favor broken your favor 10 that came down from that mountain right those are the only ones that, that that you're not supposed to break on any circumstance but you know, in that situation with what situation and what just happened, go for two and win the game, Stone. Your favor. Win the game. Yeah, you, you, there's no underdog mentality in a spot like that. You're at home. You're favored. You have them on yeah, the ropes, and you find Stone, pay dirt. You're the underdog, though. This is that's, this is North Dakota State. You're the underdog. It doesn't matter that you're the favorite in Vegas. And and you're the underdog because North Dakota State is still North Dakota State. The only team that's really shown that they can be above North Dakota State is South. Dakota State. So if you're if you want to be the next person to leap over North Dakota State, if I'm putting the ball in your hands right now, Stone Labanowitz as a quarterback, you just scored a touchdown. You got a chance to put the dagger in the heart. You're really saying don't go for two right there? Yeah, I am. Like 100 really, as a quarterback. As a quarterback, like this is not the situation that we we find ourselves in. Another way you have to look at it too. If you're Montana State and and, and you're in front of your home fans and you find the end zone and everybody's happy and you go for two and you don't get it, the same questions are going to come up. Why the hell are we going for two? Like, it's a lose-lose situation. Put the pigskin through the pipes and, and just jog off the field and let your defense do their thing. You have the your, better team. Sean Chambers is a better quarterback than gassed. Cam Miller. Your defense was gassed the entire fourth quarter. Everybody was gassed. It's 35-30. It so, was 35-34. So, so Everybody's gassed. So what happens right after that, Stone, if you make the extra point? Let's say your defense does outstanding, holds them to three points, and then NDSU stops you. You going to make a field goal? Probably not. You missed two already on the day. No, I think going for two and win the ball game right there is not only the right call it was the only call and it was bad coaching and a bad call not to do it that's just my opinion i could be wrong but i'm not i'm not saying it's the only call i'm just saying that i like the call that i i would have been aggressive right there because if you lose hey we went out on our shield and and we didn't go out saying hey we're just trying to like play for somebody else to make a mistake and not and not get it done i i definitely hear you guys i i'll end it with this i think if you polled every single coach in the subdivision man this number's going to split like 85-15, 90-10, 90% 90 
ninety of them are just yeah, but kicking the extra point. Cowards though. So like like by by design, most coaches are are conservative. They're cowardly when it comes to these things. That's why the forward thinkers are the ones that innovate. The, the forward, forward thinkers, thinkers are that the are ones that go the, beyond. The forward thinkers that are sitting on Twitter telling Brett Vegan and his staff what to do. Those are your forward thinkers. No, there's a there's no, freaking I'm bread. talking about I'm talking about the coaches that go out there that go for it on fourth on fourth and two when they're over their fifty that don't just punt it away because they're afraid of of defending a short field or a short er field. They don't they don't they don't get into the we're going to play the field position game. We're going to try to bend but don't break. They go no, we're going to put the pressure on you and we're going to make it more often than not. And the numbers will bear that out in the end. Those forward thinkers are the ones that are running football right now. Those are the ones that are getting it done. Nick Saban even had to come over to the metrics of how to play more modernized football because he was tired of his teams losing to those same teams that had those forward thinking and 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 and, and aggressive offenses. And now look at them. They just beat Georgia, Georgia's all world. Brandon Staley's no, except for the guy that Presbyterian hired, and that was just a total mess and should never have happened. Hey, to that guy. I still he contend be nowhere near a Division One football program ever again. Hey, I still contend if you if he would have stuck it out for two to three more years, he would have eventually got in the the tempo and the and the philosophies that he wanted to be able to adjust to college. Like maybe not go for it every single time on fourth down, but a, a metric that worked for him. He just he just wasn't willing and. His fan base wasn't willing to wait it out and allow that thing to happen. Well, Brandon Staley's going to be out of a job in LA. He's one of those forward-thinking guys that you talk about. All right, let's take a trip up north to the Kibbe Dome, Idaho. This is a question from Vandal TW on Twitter. Who do you predict is the Vandal MVP this weekend when they send Albany home for the year? Kevin, take it first. I'm not sure that's going to happen, so I'm not going to pick an MVP of a game that I'm not sure Idaho's going to win. I think if Idaho does win it, it's going to have to be Anthony Woods, a running back, because Idaho's going to have to play keeper away from that U Albany offense. Yeah. Reese Poffenbarger can really sling it. You know, he he's not a high completion percentage guy, but they take some shots. The Great Danes take some shots down the field and they're going to have to possess the ball, keep him off the field. It's, it could be a really long, long evening for Idaho. All right. Now this one directed at Eugene. Everybody knows about Albany's defense. Look alive. This one coming from Josh at Hangler. Josh 24 on Twitter. Everyone knows about Albany's defense, but who has the advantage between Idaho's defense and Albany's offense. Gosh, I... I hate to say it, but I, I think it's Idaho's defense. Um, I don't. I, I think a little bit of, and I've been on Albany for 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 a while, but I think a little bit of often Albany's offensive like explosion, if you will, is it, it's, it's not sustainable, especially when you're t now taking them to Idaho. I I don't know if it's going to be the the same ineptitude on from the other offense that allows their offense to keep on churning and churning and churning. I actually think it was impressive that Idaho was able to um to in some fashion in some form of fashion put 20 points on the board versus SIU and I know it didn't come all via the offense but you know getting getting close to 300 yards of offense versus SIU I think bodes well for them going against that Albany defense because I think that SI that SIU and Albany have similar defenses oh, yeah. with, with Albany having like a little bit better defensive backfield pops possibly in, in my opinion all right, two more for you guys here. 
hoping this makes sense to you guys. I know you'll both take a crack at it. Kev, you can take it first. At Jay Larson on Twitter, at Jaybird underscore Montana. Do we still know anything about Furman? Question mark. Are they better than Delaware was? I know a pretty good bit about Furman. I know they're a good football team. I know they have a really good quarterback. I know their offensive line is good. I know the running back room is good. I think this team is way better than Delaware, and they're going to show it on Friday night right here in Missoula, Montana. This will not be a cakewalk for the Grizz. Furman's going to show up ready to play. I would be shocked if this isn't a close game that comes down to the fourth quarter. I would be shocked as well. I think that Furman's defense is legitimately good. I think that their offense will be better than it was last week. you got to remember that the quarterback and the running back were both coming back off injury. They hadn't played in a couple of weeks. That that takes a little bit of kind of getting the mojo back working. They knocked the rust off last week. I think you'll see a more efficient um, Furman offense. I think you'll see the defense that you've pretty much seen from them all season it's going to be a tough one in montana yeah i i do think there was a case of knocking some rust off tyler huff dominic roberto and i also think it's a case of playing down to your level chattanooga had really nothing for Furman, and Furman knew that at no point did they sweat and i, I think it paid off in, in the long run for them all right there's a part two to this question gene i want you to take this one because we know bison fans they listen and they love us and we love them as well at jbird underscore montana is ndsu good or lucky i don't think they're lucky their defense is is stout enough to hold um, in in areas where it matters at times. Um, I, I don't think they're lucky. Their offense, their their running game is legitimate. Um, I do think they get lucky. I don't think they're lucky, but I think they've gotten lucky. Luck might be luck might be able to survive one more week, but after that, it, it's probably a wrap for the Bison. Go ahead and clip it up. Clip it up right now. I know they're going to be talking bad about me in a minute. Kev, are they good or are they lucky? I think they're both. You know, people Ooh. say you make your own luck, right? So. You know, I'm going to straddle that fence right there. Um, you know, and I, believe me, I don't mind doing it, even though it is pointy. But, you know, here's the thing about the Bison. What we've seen them do for years ain't what they're doing this year, right? I, I mean, they tried to stick with that running game, and they got big plays out of it, right, which happened in the past. But in the past, there were a whole lot more six-yard gains than there were 40-yard gains. Uh, they can still eat the clock. They can still shorten the game. But I'm with Gene here. I, I think we all had them going to the the semifinals, right? Yeah. Well, you know what? This week at South Dakota, they could lose that ball game. South Dakota's already beaten them once. But man, trying to beat the Bison twice in a season, pack a lunch. That's going to be quite, quite. Going to be a tough. It's going to be a tough job for sure. Pack a lunch. They say. All right, last one. I, I just want you guys to pick one of these games. Which line is the most head scratching to you? You can find these bet MGM five times, whatever it is, wherever you find your lines. And if you don't even find them, I got them for you right here. But I want both of you guys to answer which one is the most head scratching. All right, Furman going to Missoula, Montana to play the Grizz. It opened, I, I think, at that twenty-one number. It's down to 16 and a half in favor of Montana. And you have Villanova, South Dakota State. I mean, my goodness gracious, South Dakota State favored by 21 and a half. At least that's what it opened up at. North Dakota State going to Vermillion, taking on South Dakota, playing in a dome. Get this, North Dakota State favored by almost a touchdown number sitting at six and a hook. Albany going to the Kibbe Dome. Idaho getting the same number that they did last week, minus six and a half. Out of all those games, Kevin, I'll start with you. Which one is the most confusing to you and which one do you disagree with the most? The Furman, Montana. 
line. I, I just, Furman is a good football team. I think this is just a lack of respect for the Furman Paladins by the people making these lines. And look, I, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and I'll admit it, I'll own it. But I just I just don't see Furman coming out here and not being competitive. And you know, 16 and a half points is a not, it's not a competitive football game. I think it'll be much more competitive than that. And I see other people giving Furman 3% chances to win this ball game. <sighs> I just, mm, you know, the team that Montana was the first four weeks could show up Friday night, y'all. They could. Not saying they will, but they could. And Furman's been consistent all season, right? Except for when they were beat up and lost that ball game to Wofford. They shouldn't have lost. 16 and a half points, a whole lot of points, y'all. I, I, that's a head scratcher. I, I agree. I don't see, I don't see Furman losing by, by more than two touchdowns. Um, so you can see where my money is probably going to be at this, this weekend. I also think it's interesting, right? I, I'm surprised that, I'm surprised that they're giving, um, that they're giving Idaho so much love after their, after their previous performance. I, I was not, it was not, in my opinion, an impressive performance um, by Idaho. And you now take on a really hot, really confident you Albany team and now and now that Albany team is as of right now what I see they're they're minus four I'm sorry they're on plus four versus Idaho I think that's going to be a really tough fight Albany even in the games that they've lost they've they've been in they've been in those games like they lost a really close game to New Hampshire um early in the year um before they really got on that super run that they that they've gone on um they lost a they lost a, a four point game to Marshall at Marshall yeah so like I, I just don't see this Albany team being shook and getting like beat by more than a field goal to like win the game. So I think that's something that a lot of fans, if they're into wagering on things, they might want to look at. But over over 14 points for 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 Furman, you got to kill me dead on that one. You gotta kill him dead. That's Mr. Gene Clemens. You heard from Kevin Marshall. My voice, the friendly one of Stone Lebanowitz. We're gonna take a break here, hear from some of our good partners, and when we get back, the preview segment. That's on its way. It's one of the bigger segments of the show. We only have three games, so we're gonna do a lot of chat and a lot of breaking down, talking about some personnel, what teams can do, what they can't afford to do in some of these games. Like I said, stick with us during the break. You're listening right now to FCS Nation Radio on the Palmetto Radio Network. And we're back. You're listening to FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Networks. Now time for the preview segment. This week, Mr. Gene Clemens is going to join Stone Lebanowitz and I as we take our trip around FCS Nation and preview the quarterfinal matchups taking place this week. Well, the ones that are taking place on Saturday anyway. Here we go. Number eight, Villanova is at number one, South Dakota State. Gene Clemens, your thoughts. Wildcats at Jackrabbits. The the question isn't whether or not South Dakota State is going to win. The question is whether or not they're going to cover the number. I say yes, they will cover the number. I think Villanova's fools go get them up out of here. Jacks keep rolling. Look, here's what I think. Uh, Villanova is a much better opponent than Mercer was. Mercer really had nothing. They were just happy to be there. I mean, they tried. They pulled out all the stops. Nothing really works. South Dakota State's just that good. This will be a better game, I think, but I don't really see anybody going to Brookings and beating South Dakota State. I don't really think anybody's going to beat South Dakota State in Frisco, Texas for the national championship either, but that remains to be seen. Villanova can do some things. They have a fifth-year senior quarterback, doesn't make a lot of mistakes, gets the ball where it needs to be, and he can pull it down and run it. Running game is solid. Defense is solid. This is a good opponent. They will give South Dakota State a game. 
Am I wrong, Stone Lebanowitz? I mean, you're definitely not wrong. The problem is it rides and dies with Connor Watkins. You did bring up the old vet. It's going to take big plays with the quarterback, converting third downs. Like, there's no way you survive. I had confidence in Carter Peavy last week that he was going to walk into Brookings and play some good football. No, he, he didn't play, and he got ambushed by the South Dakota State front seven, and that's what they plan on doing to Connor Watkins. It's going to take some big throws in the first quarter, some big third and 12 conversions in the first quarter to make South Dakota State question themselves. Like, they, Mercer already got the fake punt out of the system. Villanova's not going to be able to use anything up their sleeves that they probably planned on because Mercer woke them up. I understand it was a 41-0 victory, but there's no trickery you can really do. It, it, like I said, for the third time, I'll reiterate it. It comes down to converting and moving the chains on third downs. It, it comes down to on first and 10, as soon as you cross the 50, taking a shot down the field and trying to find pay dirt in a cheap six points. That's the only way you're going to be able to do it. It's the only way anybody's going to be able to do it. I think Villanova does have the guys to do so. I'm a huge fan of Carter and Watkins, but I'm just not even confident saying that. Like, I'm almost not even wanting to say it because I said a hundred times last week that Mercer being given 32 and a half points was way too much. Well, this <laughs> final scoreline was 41-0. There's just... You know, we find ourselves talking more so about the opposition that South Dakota State's playing just because we've already exhausted everything that we can possibly say with South Dakota State. But nonetheless, I'll keep it at I, I like Connor Watkins. I like Jalen Jackson. I think Jalen Sanchez is a guy who, who's probably going to find the end zone if Villanova scores. Um, he's good on the inside and outside for them. But I, I think they can they can put up a fight here. Not confident, though. Well, Stone, let me ask you this. If need be. There's been some people who have said no to this question. I, I, I can't believe we're going to give those people airtime uh, or, the, or their opinion, which I think is crazy. But there have been people who say that Mark Ranowski's not good enough to put that team on his back and go win a football game. What say you? Hmm. Where do I start? I think Mark Ranowski's the perfect guy to put a team on his back and win a football game. One, why? Because they already have every ounce of trust in him. And, and, and two, I think Luan and, and the rest of the gang know Mark so well that they're never going to put too much on his plate. I've oftentimes talked about and taken some slack for this one that he's not much of a drop back passer. Well, who gives a damn? Don't let him drop back pass, right? Play to his strengths, which is the RPO game, which is getting outside the pocket. A lot of the zone read stuff on, on down in distances when they're really short and the chains are right in front of them. Get him outside the pocket. Get him moving, right? Find find Zach Hines and a lot of these guys out there in the flat. And then take your shots when the Yankee twins are, are when, when they're ready to go and down in distance provides, right? And like I talked about earlier with Villanova, when you're in plus territory, get the Yankee twins. Get them out on bubbles. Take the shots down the field like the offense is so simple for mark he's so comfortable behind center for this team he's got the best offensive line the fcs has seen in the last like what five eight years his backfield he has a guy that's going to go play on sundays pierre strong's playing on sundays isaiah davis is going to follow right behind him he's too comfortable he knows the playbook too well his offensive staff knows him too well it's a perfect guy who has his head on his shoulders he's such an awesome kid he's the guy who can take him all the way and everybody knows it just stop fighting it hey gene what is it that south Dakota state does on defense it's not a special scheme is it it's not some three three five or you know uh, some exotic blitzes i just think they have better players on the defensive side of the ball and they can really keep it simple i think they smother offenses like when was the last time you saw people making one-on-one tackles in south dakota state like they get to the ball i i know it's it, it sounds simple but i can tell you as 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 a guy who's coached defense who's coached defensive line who's coached defensive backs it is difficult to get the mantra of everybody to the ball, but South Dakota State, they rally to the ball. It doesn't matter where you are, what you complete, what you're doing. You're going to see a, 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 a lot of rabbits around that on ball. And when you see a lot of rabbits around the ball, it's normally a good thing. 
Um, I also would would add that Gronowski not being able to carry a team is a wildly ridiculous um, <laughs> statement. Wildly ridiculous. As a true freshman, back before South Dakota State was South Dakota State that we know now, he was carrying the team. He was putting up like 200-and-something passing yards and, and, and three touchdowns and 115 rushing yards and another two touchdowns. He was a one-man wrecking crew until he got hurt in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the championship game. So I don't know what the, I don't know what these people are talking about, but they've clearly missed the boat on who this young man is and who he still has the capability um, to, to raise his game to. We saw last year that during the regular season, they really conserved him and then once we got to the playoffs they started to to take the reins off him and in the championship games they let the dog or they let the rabbit off the off the leash and it was full-blown like Gronowski out there killing them I think you're going to kind of see the same thing yeah Kev I just want to add one more thing uh, in regards to South Dakota State's defense smothers a good way to put it but they just don't really care what happens to them because they know the offense is going to go find the end zone and they know if they ever get put Fact. in weird situations they can change it up these low-hanging safeties they're so quick to run the alley and a lot of them will play flat-footed in a secondary waiting for you to run by them because I don't even think by the time and this is a, some, some of the stuff that I and I've had conversations with Southern Illinois staff because they played them this year and they played them really tough 17-10 finish they said they have their safety so low playing so flat-footed because they don't even think your quarterback's gonna have enough time for that receiver to, to get unleash. by me to unleash that ball so we're gonna yep. play we're gonna sit our asses right here at 10 yards and dare you to come beat us and we're gonna load that box and we're going to get after you dial up pressures when you least expect it if you can beat us deep fine you got it you can have the seven points we'll go get it back ourselves and erase it but that's what they do they're so confident smothers a good way to put it i love all of it north dakota state is at number three south dakota y'all we we mentioned it in the mailbag segment, which was a marathon segment. There was way there's way more of that on the podcast that you're going to hear on the radio. So go find that again. Uh, look, South Dakota, great season, number three seed. Now you got to beat NDSU again. Yikes! <laughs> yeah, um, congratulations, South Dakota. You know you were able to to get it done and and get to where you needed to to be. You need you were able to 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 get a great seed and for your reward you get North Dakota State in the quarterfinals. Here's the here's the problem for South Dakota. They played against Sacramento State when Sacramento State's quarterback went down, who was a game changer with his legs. They're not going to get that that luxury most likely with with North Dakota State because Cam Miller can beat you with his legs and his backup can beat you with his legs. I don't think that North Dakota this is the game that's going to make North Dakota State have to put the ball in the air in order to win. And I think because we saw what Sacramento State was able to do, 148 yards, 4.6 yards of carry, I don't see any reason why North Dakota State's going to feel any type of way about going in there and running the ball because they had success running the ball the first time they played. And we know that that coaching staff, if nothing else, they do a great job of scheming you once they've seen what you bring to the table the first time. And what we, what we saw from South Dakota versus Sacramento State down their starting quarterback was not an overwhelmingly like impressive effort. It was good enough to get the job done. I don't think that I don't think that North Dakota State is going to spot South Dakota a 21-3 lead in the first half and then try to chase them down in the second half. And I think if it's close, like it like it's probably going to be, if it's close in the first half, South Dakota, I'm sorry, North Dakota State's going to find a way to get it done in the second half. Yeah, I think there are a plethora of factors playing into this game. And I'll start with this. If South Dakota wants to play football like they did in the first quarter against Sac State, they'll beat North Dakota State straight up. Like if you want to come out the gates firing all 22, 
even the special teams was getting involved. I, I think if that's what you want to do and you want to ambush them in your own house, I think you have a, have a shot. I, I think the one thing that worries me, one, besides the line that sits at six and a half, Vegas really confident in the buys, and I think as they should be. But another thing that worries me, and it goes against South Dakota, is the level of experience with North Dakota State. Like, you're coming off of a, a Montana State win. I, I don't even think South Dakota, I don't think the Yotes are beating the Bobcats. I, I think that line would probably be higher than it was. They were favored. Montana State was favored against North Dakota State. I think Montana State's favored by double digits against South Dakota. And for North Dakota State to go into that place, walk in there, and come out with a victory, that makes me really nervous. But I'm not a recency bias guy. I think last week is not this week, and yesterday's price is not today's price. So for me, and I say this a lot, Kevin, I've said it all season long, and for those who have been listening, I'm sure it gets a tad annoying, but I'm a big first quarter guy. What does Aiden Bauman need to do, Stone? Does he need to throw the ball 30 times to beat them, or do they have a better opportunity to win if he's completing 15 or 20, something like that? He needs to elongate drives because that's what the buys going to do on their end is try to just drag it out and, and make it really long. I, I think you got to own the clock here. The time of possession is key for Aiden Bauman in this offense. If he wants to complete, I mean, he's been completing balls to uh, so many different receivers each and every week. Carter Bell obviously leading the way, but two guys over the century mark last week. Extend drives. Keep North Dakota State off of the field. And if you can make things awkward and make them try to close out halves and close out and, and have to go on two minute here to end the game, they'll win. So Aiden Bauman needs to convert drives in awkward down and distance situations and own the time of possession. Aiden Bauman was dialed last week. I mean like dialed, dialed. And if he's dialed against this Bison team, I, I think they have a real good shot. So extend drives, Kevin, win the time of possession battle. Number five, Albany is at number four, Idaho. Y'all, this Albany team reminds me of the Southern Illinois team in a lot of ways that Idaho struggled with last week. But I think Albany has the better quarterback that could spell a long evening for the Vandals and the Kibbe Dome. Yeah, it could. It definitely can. I'm. I'm very. This is my most torn game of the of the of the weekend. I I can wake up tomorrow and say Idaho finds a way to get get it done. I can wake up tomorrow and go Albany is going to pull the upset and and roll out of there with with a, a chip. The only thing I'm really certain of right now is I believe this is going to be a close game. I think there's swagger in, in the Great Danes. I think they have a swagger. They they, they haven't lost in a long time. It, it's a weird thing that happens when you haven't lost in a long time. You forget what losing's like. So it doesn't even come into your mind like we're going to lose this game. I think they'll be playing with that level of confidence. We have not seen the East Coast make these trips very well. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think if you if you held my feet to the fire, I think that Albany finds a way to get it done amongst immense pressure by by Idaho and what will probably be a, a good a good crowd out there for the Vandals. I mean, there are playmakers everywhere in this game, and we thought that'd be the case last week in the Kibbe Dome. Idaho, so many dudes on the offensive side. I can go through the list of them, but we all know their name. They've become household. Southern Illinois had some playmakers as well. Good quarterback behind center. <sighs> The same can be said about this game. Guys like Brevin Easton uh, going against Idaho's secondary will be fun to watch. He scored s- touchdowns in seven straight games. Like uh, I like what Gene said when he said, you know, one day I'm going to wake up and think it's Idaho, and the next I'm going to wake up and think it's Albany. I-, I-, I feel that. I just don't necessarily think Albany's offense is going to be able to put up more points than than Idaho's offense. I, I think that's as simple as this one gets. I-, I think Idaho's defense will prevail. I just don't think Albany's offense necessarily has it in the tank. This is a- This is a tricky spot. 
and I'm putting my faith and my trust in Coach Eck here. I think what they saw on tape, let's just, let's just think about it like this. Southern Illinois was a beautiful measuring stick for Idaho. I thought at the time, both of those teams looked identical. That The things that were on tape that became a weakness for Idaho will be fixed. Those details will be solved. All the things that you thought they did bad, they won't do bad this game right here. I think that some of those mistakes get corrected. And to be honest, I think Idaho is going to get out of here with a double-digit victory. I think Albany's been so hot, and they just don't really know what they're in for. And I think X is going to get everything corrected. I like Idaho big in this spot. I'm sorry. I totally disagree. And we're gonna, we'll get into pick segment in just a little while. But you don't think Albany has got enough offensive firepower in the tank? Stone, this is a team that scored 40 points last week. They scored 30 uh, in a consecutive week several times this season. If you would have said the Albany defense, I, I would have really disagreed with you. But I think when you talk about who's got the most balanced group, if you take South Dakota State out of this thing, who's got the best offense and the best defense left? I think the answer to that is you, Albany, the Great Danes, and I don't think it's close. I just, I have a hard time going through this schedule and, and thinking it doesn't it doesn't move me at all. So these statistics and everything we're going to talk about, this front seven, this offense, all these guys, like I just don't necessarily think the level of competition has been a proper measuring stick for us. I don't care what they, Richmond was a phenomenal football team. Love Richmond. Uh, Monmouth. Got blown out 41 0. I mean, a Stony Brook team, I don't care. William and Mary's terrible. Maine's terrible. Rhode Island, give me a break. New Hampshire's phenomenal. They lost that game to New Hampshire. Towson stinks. And they beat a Villanova team pretty early on in the season. Morgan State, I, I mean, I just I just don't think that they've been tested as much as everybody thinks. I think they've been running rampant on some bad teams, and, and they're going to walk into the Kibbe Dome and, and realize this team on the other side is trying to win a national championship. Is that what we're trying to do? And they'll question themselves. That's just how I feel. It's time for us to take a timeout. Coming up in just a little bit will be the pick segment. I know you'll want to hang out for that. We'll be right back. You're listening to FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Network. down at 10. The plus 27. Annick step back to pass. Pocket collapsing. Lobs it up top. Sopkowitz runs under the football into the nest. Touchdown, Illinois State. Thanks for sticking with us during the break. You're listening to FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Network. Alex's Lemonade Stand Honorary Captain of the Week. Boy, we have stockpiled and created a list of some of the top athletes around the country. They are the face of this thing. They keep this thing afloat. They are raising awareness for childhood cancer, raising funds for childhood cancer. I think that most importantly because it's underfunded. We'll get into some of those statistics, but first let me introduce our... Honorary Captain of the Week, Illinois State Redbird Signal Caller, Mr. Zach Anixted. Zach, I had a chance to talk to Ryan Kramer, the managing partner up there in Chicagoland. I know you guys have had some conversation. You guys have kind of come together on this and helped make it what it is. But for you, sir, appreciate you giving the show some time this week. No, appreciate you having me on. Appreciate Ryan and Northwestern Mutual for, for reaching out to me. Yeah, your guys' season. We're going to get into that, but I wanted to start with a few introductory things. We're going to get into your background, but talk about how this came about. Who reached out to you? how that conversation was and why you felt like, hell yeah, let me get involved in this. Yeah. I mean, Ryan reached out to me initially um, and I got on a phone call with some people and they brought the idea to me and uh, I was actually lucky enough that they reached out to me with the idea. And I mean, at the end of the day, it's about, it's about supporting Alex, supporting the lemonade stand um, and raising as much money as possible. I mean, and there's no one better to do it than uh, student athletes with, with the attention that we get from, from great people like you. Um, so yeah. Yeah. That last part you just touched on why, why it's important to come together. Just harp on that a little bit. Why, why it's 
it's cool that the athletes have come together. Like I talked about earlier, we have this giant list of literally the best athletes in the country from all over the subdivision. Why is it cool to you that you guys have come together and kind of are leading the charge in all of this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's awesome. I think that I think NIL is a cool opportunity for college athletes to make money, but I think it's way more cool when we have the opportunity to to raise money for Bingo. an opportunity. Um, I think that's something that, that I expressed to Ryan and their whole crew um, was something that was important to me um, to bring as much awareness to that. And I'd rather I'd rather make X amount of dollars and donate all that to, to something like this than, than for my own name. Is childhood cancer and cancer in general just helping out the cause? Is that something that's important to you? Have you had anybody in your family affected by it close to your family? Is this something that's up on that list of things that call it a bucket list item? Having a hand in raising money and awareness for childhood cancer. I think for a lot of people, they're not given the opportunity to do so is this something that was extra special for you when it was proposed um you know i think i think cancer is cancer is shitty. i mean excuse my language it is what it is um but i think everybody's had someone that's been affected by it whether it's a child or someone of age i mean whatever whatever the situation is i mean i think i've been lucky enough that my direct family and close family has been healthy for the most part and whatnot but um it's definitely something that that caught my attention and i mean especially for for a young a young kid to have to go through is just is just yeah, I mean, there's no other ways to no other way to put it. There really is no other way to put it, and I appreciate you for being so blunt about it. I'm a quarterback myself, well, a former quarterback, a washed quarterback. Uh, you, sir, are coming off a spectacular season. In some sense, we're going to get into that right now. Let's switch gears, talk a little football right now. The Redbirds finishing six and five in the regular season, four and four in the Missouri Valley Football Conference, the SEC of the FCS. Hey, I'm a Southern Illinois Saluki, so I think me and you can kind of gatekeep that in the fact that the Missouri Valley is the toughest conference. Grade your season out, A through. F, what would you give it all things considered? Me personally, like for my for my own player, for as a team. So let's make it two part. Uh, I appreciate <laughs> that. Let's make it two part. So go Zach first, and then go Redbird season. Uh, I don't know. I suppose there's some games where I felt like I was playing an A, and then there's definitely some games where I felt like I was probably a B. And I mean, I think I think that's what you go back and look at the film for. And um, I think as the season went on, just me personally speaking, I think I got I just kind of kept climbing the climbing the ladder there, and it's what you want to do, especially as a quarterback. Um, first couple games, I played pretty average, to be honest with you. Um, and then I think I kind of hit my stride there early on and just kind of kept it rolling uh, and I think as a team I think I think we had a really good team it was just kind of unfortunate that there's a couple games were really close and then we lost like three or four games by a combined total of like eight points I don't know exactly what it is don't mark my words for that but it's close um and I mean there's some there's some really good teams in our conference um that that get a lot of respect and you saw a couple of them in the playoffs and uh I mean it's unfortunate we finished six and five it's a winning season but it's definitely short of what our goals were um but I know that Illinois State and Coach Spack and that whole coaching staff will get things rolling in next year yeah I got that stat for you right here it was combined eight points. Uh, yeah. I, I get you playing the card, <laughs> acting as if you don't know. I get it. Well played, but I got it for you right here. You had two one-point losses and two three-point losses. That right there alone is ridiculous. Four losses of the five by a combined, like you said, eight points. Looking back at those games specifically, what can the Redbirds take from them into the 2024 adventure that they're going to embark on here sooner or later? Mm, I think I'm going to kind of give you a coach's answer here, but I think it's uh, I think it's just complimentary football. I think, I think there was games there where the offense was rolling, the defense was struggling, and there was games where the defense was rolling, the offense was a little slow, vice versa, and then uh, special teams just kind of the cherry on top. I think I think it's kind of a coach's answer for you. It might be kind of an easy All answer, good. but I think, I, think, uh, I think we need to do a better job of playing complimentary football, and that's something that we preach to 
throughout the, uh, throughout the season. Yeah, let's talk about how you got to Illinois State, and then we'll get into the man calling the shots and Brock's back. But your journey's been, I call it cool. Uh, I'm sure for you it's been stressful at certain points, but I love when a quarterback goes on these adventures and finds himself on different teams with different goals. It, it, it's something that I think needs to be studied, and when Illinois State brings in a guy of your caliber, I mean, that fan base, trust me, everybody of normal was like, okay, we can we can do this for the guy like Zach behind center. You play for Minnesota a little bit. You're originally from Minnesota, Northland to be exact. Find yourself at IMG Academy, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong for just the tad. And then, like I said, from Minnesota to Illinois State, your dad was a Minnesota gopher as well. Played from 82 to 83. Saw time with KC in Washington in the NFL. Your cousin hooped for Wisconsin in 2012 and 2015. He played in the NBA for a little bit. Everybody knows who Sam Decker is. He's bounced around all over the association teams like the Rockets, the Clippers, the Cavs. In 2018, you were named the starting quarterback by uh, famous coach PJ Fleck that uh, everybody's no stranger to. Uh, you were believed to be the second walk-on true freshman quarterback to start a season opener. That alone is ridiculous. You joined company like Baker Mayfield, who started his first game at Texas Tech in 2013 after walking on. Started the first seven games of the season, played in eight total games, started your career 3-0 to become the first gopher freshman quarterback to ever start and win his first three games of his career, hampered by a second half of the season with an injury. All of these things happen. You're not even 20 years old. You're right around there. You're still a kid. And now you have to go somewhere else, figure it out another way. How'd you get to Illinois State? And did Brock's back play a part in that? Because I'd imagine he did. Yeah, I mean, I think very, very long story short, um, played early at Minnesota. Um, kind of felt like the man at the time when I was 18 years old. And then I kind of got humble quick, played pretty average at times, got hurt my sophomore year. I've had a, I've had a handful of injuries in college is what it is. It's part of football. Um, sophomore year got hurt. A kid named Tanner Morgan played and he played really well. Um, and I didn't get the spot back there. And then when I knew that he was going to stay another year, I was like, you know what? I got to play. I want to get on the field. Um, so I hit the transfer portal, had a handful of schools reach out. A lot of Mac schools offered me, uh, Marshall, Wyoming, those kind of schools all offered me. And then Coach Speck, uh, Illinois State called me. And to be honest with you, at first, I was kind of like, you know what? Like, I don't really want to play FCS football. If I'm, if I'm being honest with you, I was, I was like, I don't know if I want to play FCS football. I was kind of like, it was kind of more like ego, ego at the time sure. where I was like, hey, I want to, I want to stay FBS. Like, but then as I did more research, talked to people, I was like, you know, what? I'd rather be in the Missouri Valley than in, than in Mac football. And I'm not scared to say that. Um, I love that's, that. That's, that. That's me fully saying that. Um, and I think uh, the goal is to play on Sundays and have the opportunity to that, whatever that looks like, whether that's for six months or six years, 16 years, whatever it is. Um, and I think uh, Illinois State gave me the opportunity to do that. Um, and I built a great relationship with Coach Back, those coaches um, during the recruiting process with them um, and everything they told me during recruiting, they they followed up on and they gave me uh, the best opportunity any quarterback in the portal could ask for. So the subdivision loves Brock's back as a whole. I do. My co-host, Kevin Marshall, we're huge SPAC fans. We love the stash. And it's not even the stash. It's not even those things. It's how he coaches a team. But give our audience kind of a peek behind the curtain of how he is, one, on the field, what kind of coach he is. And then, two, of course, we got to talk about it, how he is off the field, kind of his personality. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a little bit old school. Um, I think every coach kind of has their has their thing. He's a little bit old school. Um, that's not a bad thing at all. I just think uh, he's a little bit old school. But but uh, I think on the field, he can be he can be a little bit of a hardo sometimes he'll get he'll get on me and not a hardo in a yeah. negative way but he'll, he'll get he'll get on me when i need it and, um but he does a really good job of kind of knowing knowing who can take what kind of coaching knowing his players knowing that he can be hard on me at times because he knows that i can take it and then i'll respond to it um and then off the field he's actually he's actually a great dude um i think he he loves christmas um like he's <laughs> he called, loves he's, christmas he's, he's he's called me he's called me a couple times the past the past week or so just to check on me check on my knee and whatnot and he's always asking if there's snow on the ground up here and then um he's always he's always watching christmas movies all that kind of stuff i don't think there's a bigger christmas fan than than uh brock speck 
but no, I, I couldn't say enough good about the guy um, as a coach, as a person. Um, and any person who was thinking about Illinois State, I wouldn't speak higher of a coach. Awesome stuff. Having a chat here with Zach Anikstead, the signal caller for Illinois State. The Redbirds hanging out in the Missouri Valley Football Conference, coming off a 6-5 and five season. Zach is our honorary captain of the week, of course, presented by none other than Northwestern Mutual and the Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation. I wanted to get into a little bit of playoffs, uh, a little bit of the predictions and what we got going on right now. There are some Valley teams that are still left. I believe there's three of them. South Dakota State, North Dakota State, and South Dakota. The Coyotes having a pretty good good year who surprised you in the playoffs even with teams that have been eliminated so far i guess we'll start there who surprised you who's still going that you think is kind of still being slept on i think south dakota coming into the year we didn't get to play them this year but i know that last year their defense was one of the best defenses i played all year um i think south dakota is a really good team obviously south dakota state north Dakota state and i think villanova i thought looked really good against youngstown because i think Love youngstown it. is a good team i saw some of that game i think villanova is good so i'm excited to watch them play south dakota state and see what happens with that one but for the three games that we have have slated for this Saturday. You got Nova, like you mentioned now. You gave him a little shout out. Going to Brookings to play the Jack Rabbits. You got North Dakota State going to Vermillion to play South Dakota. You just gave them a shout out as well. And then Albany goes to Moscow to play the Idaho Vandals. All right, Zach, let's decide who wins the national championship. There are still some teams left, especially from the vaunted, I guess we'll call it the vaunted Missouri Valley Football Conference that we think is uh, holds itself as just such high esteem. Who do you think wins the national championship, dude? I mean, I think it comes down to South Dakota State and North Dakota State. If, if I'm being honest with you. And I think, uh, I think it'll be South Dakota state, but I think North Dakota state is coached really well. And I think, uh, people have said it's a down year. I mean, maybe it is, maybe it isn't for, for their standards. Um, but I think South Dakota state will come out on top in my opinion. Let's talk about that South Dakota state team real quick, because going through the tape and I kid you not, I'm not saying this cause I'm interviewing <laughs> right now. Nobody played them as good as Illinois state. My Southern Illinois Salukis hung in there from a scoreline perspective, ended up losing that game by seven, 17 to 10 was that final result, but you guys had them on the ropes. And I know when you look at the final result, 40 to 21 you think okay the game wasn't really that close it's almost three possessions but no you were the team that gave them I think the hardest battle I've had conversations with my former head coach Nick Hill at Southern Illinois and he said listen if there's any teach tape anywhere or there's a way to beat these guys Illinois State showed us they put it all on tape take us through that game the ups and the downs the game flow and ultimately why that felt like a almost a turning point for you guys because then you ripped off I think four in a row after that yeah I mean I think I think we did play them close I think uh almost doesn't count um but yeah. I think if, if it did, I think we were there. The problem was we started out the game tw down 20 to zero. I think they missed an extra point, but we started yep. down 20 to zero. Um, and we only had the ball once. We had to mess up on special teams and gave them good field position. We're, we started down 20 to zero. And if if we don't, I mean, maybe the game is different. Um, but yeah, we definitely hung with them. Uh, I think offensively, we were moving the ball well. I mean, I think our defense hung in there, but but I mean, they were running the ball so well. They, they got a lot, of, a lot of big boys in the offensive line. I don't know if some of those guys are probably going to play in the NFL. Their running back is, I know. Um, but yeah, man, I, mean, I think we hung in there. I think our game plan was really good. Coach Peterson, our offensive coordinator, did a really good job every week of keeping things the main thing, the main thing. And that meaning we have our same plays. We're just going to get to it a different way. And I think he did a good job that week of, of not making it a bigger deal than what it is. Obviously, we had a lot of respect for South Dakota State, but it wasn't like, okay, we're going to put in a million trick plays. We're going to put in all kinds of different stuff to try to beat these guys. It was like, no, like we're going to run what we run because we have confidence in the people that we have. And we did that. And I mean, uh, we, we came up short, but I think we, we were close. I love it. I absolutely love it. Hey, South Dakota State, North Dakota State. Zach says they're running a back domain the national championship that's his prediction Zach, give some people an update on, on what you got your week after knee surgery how are things going right now where's your mental at give redbirds fan kind of uh, a sigh of relief yeah i mean it's going well surgery went really well um did some work on it had an acl injury uh clean that stuff up so surgery went really well i started physical therapy the next day started to get it moving and whatnot so i've been doing that every single day i have a lot more respect for anybody who ever has had a knee injury because i don't really sleep much at night <laughs> uh, 
it's kind of a painful process, but but it's going well. It's off to a really good start. Um, I'm at a really good training spot up here that'll be probably till till draft time in April. And so yeah, off to a really good start. FCS Nation is sending blessings your way. Every single fan base who taps in and listens, I'm sure we'll send blessings your way as well. Hey, listen, shout out. I'm calling you out, FCS Nation. Here's what we need to do. We need to donate to the Redbirds and Mr. Zach Anixted. It, it's so easy. It's right there on our website at fcsnationradio.com. Right on the right side of the screen is Alex Lemonade Stand. It's got its own landing page. You click on it. It takes you right down to where you can see the list of all of our athletes and it's as simple as donating it's as simple as sending a message to zach because he gets them sent directly to him like i said fcsnationradio.com on the right hand side of the screen alex lemonade stand it's whole landing page you can see how much money we've had accumulated so far i think the number's right at fourteen thousand dollars right now and the contest is still going on zach do you have a pitch for the people in normal do you have a pitch for fcs nation out there <laughs> on why they need to donate and how fast they need to get to their computer phone i mean it's a competition but at the same time it's i mean donate to any one of these guys it's going to a great cause if you don't want to donate to me and you're a fan of whoever else donate to them because at the end of the day that's the most important thing so hopefully we can get that done there it is folks zach annex the signal caller for the illinois state redbirds led by mr brock spack who we'll get into later in the show me and kevin marshall do zach appreciate you so much for giving the show some time this week and good luck again sending some more blessings your way thank you so much for having me appreciate it Thanks for hanging with us during the break. You're listening to FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Networks. Now, time for my favorite time of the week. This is the pick segment where Stone Labanowitz and I butt face masks and pick the biggest games taking place this week in FCS football. It's quarterfinal weekend, Stone. All of these ball games could go either way, except for this one that we're going to talk about right now, which I think would take a miracle for that to happen. But, you know, miracles do happen. It is the Christmas season. These type of things can occur, and they have in the past. Number eight, Villanova is at number one, South Dakota State. Give me Villanova! Upset spell. <clears throat> All right. South Dakota State, 41. Villanova, 17. Just another day in Brookings for those bunny boys. That's all I got. Wildcats are coming to Brookings riding high off a blowout victory over another Missouri Valley football conference team, Youngstown State. And the Jackrabbits just destroyed Mercer, and they made it look way too easy. In this one, I think there's too much of a whole lot of things here, Stone. Too much 605 Hogs. Too much Isaiah Davis and that Jackrabbit running game. Too much Jackrabbit defense. Too much Mark Granowski. And I just don't think that uh, Villanova is going to be able to stand up to any of those separately, much less all of them together. I think Villanova's a good team, but South Dakota State's a great one. Take number one, South Dakota State at home over number eight, Villanova, 38-13. Yeah, I talked about this in the preview segment, Cal. I just want to touch on it one more time. This game rides and dies on Connor Watkins, the signal caller for the Wildcats. I think if he wants to complete his first eight passes of the game for 90 yards and a touchdown and get that Villanova sideline warmed up, feeling like they're just as good as this jackrabbit squad that's the way they can actually win this game but if you don't start this game out perfectly on offense and you don't score first and you let south dakota state go on an eight play 75 yard drive that took seven minutes or a two play 75 yard drive that took 30 seconds like this team's gonna run you out of the ballpark they're gonna run you out of dan and jay dyke house it's what they do it's what they're built to do on a quest to go back to back this game all rides and dies on 
Watkins and what he want what he wants to do early in the game. I'm excited, but I just like you said, I just, I just it's gonna take a miracle, and uh, I don't think Santa's got that in store for the Wildcats. North Dakota State is at number three, South Dakota. Yeah, I've been battling all week with this one, to be honest with you, Cav, and I hope you feel the same way. I am gonna go the way the Bison though, 28-24. I, I think they can get this thing done. I just think it's really hard to beat a team like this twice, uh, a team that's surging, peaking playing with a lot of confidence. I mean, they walked into Bozeman. Walking into Bozeman, no matter who you are, is just not an easy task. They walked into Bozeman, came out with a victory in a game that was combined over 70 points scored in that one. So big stuff from the buys, and I think that confidence carries over. I think they're kind of happy to go to Vermilion too. They'll get things right. They'll right the ship. 28-24. Give me North Dakota State. Well, Stone, can the Yotes mount the Bison two times in the same season? Well, I'll tell you, brother, that is a rough, rough thing to happen try to do right but a ticketing controversy has taken some of the pregame hype away from this one and i think that's a good thing for south dakota the yotes need to do what every team attempts to do against ndsu not all of them can do it some of them can and that's load up the line of scrimmage and make ndsu beat you passing the football i don't believe they can i'm gonna take number three south dakota at home over north dakota state oh yeah 27 26 I wish I had the, as big as cojones as you did. Or you do. It's not like they're gone. They're still there. Yes. Yes, they are. And they're <laughs> magnificent. Number five, Albany is at the number four seed, Idaho Vandals. From the Kibbe Dome on ESPN, be there or you don't like football. And I don't really want to know you and I don't want you to listen to my show. I might be more excited for this game than I was for last week's game and last week's game. Had my Southern Illinois Salukis in it. The game just from an X's and O's standpoint, from an offensive standpoint, I was expecting fireworks. I didn't quite get them, but I think we get them here from Idaho. I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this. Albany's defense is disgusting. They're ruthless. They're one of the best in the country. I still don't think they're going to play this team as good as Southern Illinois did. I just think Southern Illinois has been tested more than Albany has, and Albany's going to walk into the Kibbe Dome thinking that bleep is sweet, and I don't think that's the case. I think Idaho wins this game 35-24, and I think the playmakers that weren't able to break out of the cage last week against a really good Southern Illinois secondary and defense are going to break out here. Hatton's going to find the end zone. Anthony Wood's going to find the end zone. I think the Vandals are going to be celebrating with a double-digit victory again. One more time, 35-24 Vandals. Not me, sir. It's like I said in the previous segment. I don't like this matchup for the Vandals. Great Danes quarterback, Reese Proffenbarger, is going to blow up this week, and I don't think the Vandals' defense is going to be able to stop him, and I don't think their offense is going to be able to keep up with him, Stone. This is my upset special of the week number two. Take number four, you Albany on the road over number three, Idaho, 31-21. to I just think there's too much Great Danes offense in this one. I think Idaho was spent last week. They probably shouldn't have won that football game against Southern Illinois. If the guy calls a fair catch and doesn't return the punt, they don't. I don't think Albany makes those mistakes. Kick the ball out of bounds. Do not let him win the ball game for the Vandals. Make them play it straight up. Make them beat you throwing the ball and running the football. I think Albany will have too much for the Vandals. 31-21. You, Albany, on the road. Listen, you're a bold, bold man going with the Yotes. And with the Great Danes. Let me ask you this, though, Kev. Let's let's dial it in. Which one are you more confident in? The Yotes or the Great Danes? Because both are underdogs, man. Like, you can't just confidently pick both of these squads, but you did. But which one do you like more? I like Albany more than I like South Dakota. NDSU, I just think that some point this has got to end. 
And like last week, when they needed something to go their way, guess what? It went their way. I don't think that happens again. I really don't. But Albany, Stone, we've been talking about you, Albany, since week one. They were our incarnate word this year, right? We spotted them before just about anybody else did, and we've been on them. Not just, no, we didn't spot them just like maybe before anybody else did. We did spot them before anybody else did, Stone, just like we did with incarnate word last season. I'm going to stick with this football team. I believe in them. I could be completely wrong. I love Idaho, love Coach Eck, love the fans, love Tubbs at the club. I just think Albany has that thing that Idaho does it right now, and that's defense, running game, passing game. I think they win. That brings us to the end of another episode of FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Network. FCS Nation is co-hosted and produced by Mr. Stone Labanowitz. I'm executive producer and host Kevin Marshall, thanking you for making FCS Nation a small part of your football week. And like I always do, y'all, I'd like to remind you that life's a lot like football. You play by the rules and the penalties won't kill you. Until next week, so long, everybody. You're listening to FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Network. In the FCS, it's not always about the outcome. It's also about how you play the game. It's played with passion and pride and sportsmanship. It's played with honor and integrity. And it's played in towns across America where football is a way of life. The Division I Football Championship Subdivision. It's more than a game.